Visual Basic. Oh man. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, the Jeopardy one. That's like I forget what year it is, but it's old as shit. I mean, it's got the little sticker in the bottom left talking about floppies and you know 512k of RAM and stuff. So it's the good age. Ooh, and M and M eight for the three D O. Yeah, dude. And the box is heavy. And what's more is I don't think I don't think anybody ever used it because inside they open the outer box, but there's like a thick corrugated cardboard inner box huh. and you, you can't open it. It's glued all the way around. There's just like a little slit where you can see the edges of the manuals inside it. Oh, and crazy. it's got to weigh like, yeah, it weighs like three pounds or something. It's heavy. Nice. Yeah. So I don't know what's up with that. But I'm Too much excited. glue maybe. <laughs> maybe i don't know i mean it looks, tries to open the inside box just like ah forget this yeah it looks like it was made to just be ripped open which i've never seen before Welcome back to another episode of Spam, 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 Humbug. This is episode 48, and you have got five of us tonight. You've got, of course, my... Actually, no, yeah, five, sorry. I'm uh, I'm just a little tired and frazzled, can you tell? You've got myself, who stand the Fury Dragon. Uh, I am the editor of the Ultima Codex, ultimacodex.com. I run another podcast, Scouting Stuff You Should Know, and I do a few other things here and there on the internet. We are also joined tonight by Deathblade Dragon. That's me. I uh, I run a blog. Oh, I guess I run is the wrong word, but every once in a blue moon I post to it. I believe it's Commentaries from the Socially Awkward was the name of it. I hardly ever post to it, but if you're ever curious, it's there. But yeah, that's me. Nice. And we are joined again by Gradia Dragon as well. Hello, how's everyone tonight? And Boolean Dragon is back with us as well. What's up, everybody? Glad to be here as always. Here at the beginning of the podcast. And we are also joined tonight by yeah, Israel. Thanks, thanks. Oh. It took me a minute. It took me a minute to get that. Thanks. <laughs> there we go. Yes. See, I did such a good editing job last time, you know, just splicing you in there. It was like you were there the whole time. You did. I listened to it. Nice job. All right. And we are also joined tonight by Israel, who is the author of the webcomic Games People Play. Hello, everyone. Well, first time here. Well, second attempt to get me here and first time to actually succeed. Yes. Yes. We finally got, you know, I like Discord as a tech for the most part, but I mean, it is still in development. It has some wrinkles, definitely. So, and you're connecting via phone, right? So that's a, another wrinkle. Uh, yeah, a bit wrinkly to say the least, but the, the phone's microphone is best. It's better than that of my personal computer. So, well, that, there's that. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So, um, before we dive into the main topic, well, you know what? As always, uh, should say thanks where thanks is due. This episode of Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug is, of course, brought to all of you by you and especially by our Patreon backers. So thank you to everyone who supports Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug and by extension, the Ultima Codex, 
on Patreon. And as always, a hearty thank you to the Patreon co-producers group, Seth, Johnny, Dominic, Chris, Violation, Adam, Eric, Thorwan, Cody, Pascal, and Neil. And we also want to say hello to a few new Ultima Dragons, members of the Ultima Dragons Facebook group. New as of this week include Thomas, Brandon, Michael, Andrew, Robert, William, Jack, Anthony, and Gerard. So welcome and splut to all. Splut. It's the traditional greeting of the Ultima Dragons. It is the sound of a pie, a very tasty pie, hitting you in the face. So just before we dive into the main topic, a little bit of follow-up from the previous episode. Of course, we were talking about Pokemon Go and um, AR games and AR RPGs last week. And as was pointed out by oops, Golem Dragon, a couple of days ago, um, it didn't take long for the thing that we all feared was coming to emerge. There is now a Pokemon Go dating app. It's actually an extension of Project Fixup. Now, Project Fixup was started in, I believe, about 2012. It's kind of a, it's, it's a matchmaking service. It's a little bit more um, involved than, say, Tinder or some of the other dating sites out there. And it's really just, you know, focused on fixing people up for dates. Well, anyways, they've announced the release of a new service, Pokedates. The service is presented, at least, as a way to find a partner to go and hunt Pokemon with. But fundamentally, it's a dating app that leverages the Pokemon Go craze. Now, that said, it doesn't actually tie into Pokemon Go. It doesn't use Niantic's API. But still... This is now officially a thing. Pokemon Go dating apps. Yay! Yeah. And also, I have to issue a bit of a correction. I said last week that I'd seen a few battles go down in Pokemon Go. And technically, that's actually probably what I was seeing. There's an uh, Lion's Church not far from my house, which is a uh, Pokegym. And I believe it's currently controlled by Team Valor. But I must have thought that the players I saw there were battling each other, but I've since learned that that's not actually how combat is handled in Pokemon Go. They must have been battling at the Pokegym at the same time, but they wouldn't necessarily have been fighting each other. Um, so maybe, uh, maybe the one person was doing the battling and the other guy was just waiting to snipe the gym once the monster guarding it was defeated. Who knows? I gather that's a thing. And then also another thing called carping. So um, now I guess there's this trolling thing that they do in Pokemon Go where if uh, someone captures a gym they leave a Magikarp which is like the weakest monster in the game as the monster guarding the gym so I mean on the one hand it's trivial because you know if you want to go back and reclaim your gym you have the Magikarp to defeat and the Magikarp the base monster doesn't even have an attack so it's a trivial battle to get through but on the other hand it's just kind of like yeah I took your gym and you know I took your gym. Like, it's not about defending the gym. It's more about the, the statement of, you know, then leaving this weak monster to guard the gym afterwards. Um, and, you know what? Funnily enough, just after we recorded the last episode, Pokemon Go was released in Canada. So I've actually been playing it since then. And I gotta say, it's pretty enjoyable. Um, very casual, very accessible, and the mechanics are generally fun. Uh, that said, I did wind up actually Your switching. Mother is Pardon? 
Is your phone's battery dead yet? <laughs> well, I never travel anywhere without at least twice my phone's battery capacity in battery packs and whatnot. But yeah, it's gotten close a few times. Um, I played a bit with my kids. Um, like they helped create and name the character that, uh, that I use or that we use. And we'll like go for walks around the neighborhood and see what monsters we can find. I know Pikachu does periodically appear at the playground at my daughter's school, but we haven't caught him yet. Um, but I don't know. It's been fairly fun and amusing. It's, it's actually kind of neat because I get the impression that there's actually a lot more subtlety and nuance and complexity to some of the game's stats. Um, because like I notice, I'll capture, say, um, Pidgeys. So these are just like a basic bird monster in the game. And I've captured multiple Pidgeys. And every monster you capture has a combat point rating, right? So I'll capture some Pidgeys that are like worth maybe 14 combat points. But I've caught some that are worth north of 40, you know, almost up to 50 combat points. And it's just like, okay, so obviously, even though I'm capturing base monsters, even though I'm capturing Pidgeys here, like these are all the same monster, there's clearly some variance in their stats and in their combat prowess. And so I've kind of learned that, uh, yeah, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than the game's otherwise very simple mechanics led on. But I gotta say, following up from our discussion last week, one thing I did do was switch the AR mode off. Um, for me, at least, the switch between the stylized graphics of the map that you walk around on and then the real-world AR view where it, you know, shows the Pokemon superimposed over whatever the phone's camera sees when you're actually trying to capture one of the monsters, I actually found that kind of jarring. Um, I think if there was an option to, instead of wander around on the stylized map, if there was an option to wander around on a satellite view of the area, like if it was able to pull in the Google Maps satellite view instead, I think then I would probably turn that on and keep the AR mode on because then there's that consistency, right? I'm seeing an essentially real world topographical projection of my neighborhood that zooms down to the real world view through my camera. Um, but... <clears throat> For uh, for playing the game with the stylized map graphics, I just prefer the shift to when I'm trying to capture a monster to just then it goes to a stylized background as well. It all just stays within the game's graphics. That's just me. It's an, aesthet uh, an aesthetic preference, but there you go. Just imagine how jarring it would be if it were like a Resident Evil or a Silent Hill augmented reality game. Yeah. yeah. Resident Evil would be interesting. <laughs> who knows maybe it's coming one day probably uh, just, one just one question sure, uh, sure. is this a po uh, Pokemon game so when are, when are we getting the, the Pokemon Pokemon Go Pokemon Go Chipotle Pokemon Go Chili con carne etc and so on and so forth well you know what I'm glad you asked because you know what for as wildly successful as the game has been, when we recorded our episode last week, it hadn't actually launched in Japan yet. Now, if you can believe that. It has since launched in Japan, and accompanying the Japanese launch was the formal announcement of the McDonald's partnership and the sponsored Pokestops at McDonald's. 
So to answer your question, Israel, I guess technically we're kind of already there. Um, now no one's, no one's yet produced like a Pokemon Go, yeah, Happy Meal or Burrito or something like that. But certainly the corporate partnership component of it is very real, very happening officially. So, all right. Deathblade, how's your week been? It's been pretty good, especially today. Yeah. Um, we coerced my mom into babysitting for us, and we went and saw Star Trek Beyond, which ah. there are people that don't like the new series. We do. And this one was excellent in all across the board. And then I don't know if you guys saw the link I posted um, a little earlier in chat, but immediately after walking out of the movie theater, we turn the corner and the sky is flashing in this really haphazard and frantic way. And I think it was the heat lightning because it's been ridiculously hot today. Right. Uh, but it was spectacular to watch. And of course, walking out of Star Trek Beyond, all exhilarated from that. And then that happening was... <laughs> pretty wonderful it's like yeah i think i'm gonna have no problem staying awake for this recording excellent <laughs> so well, that's good that was fantastic cool that is on my list of movies to see i i'm also generally a fan of the uh the rebooted star trek so yeah if if that's the case i highly recommend it of course i highly recommend it anyways but i know there are a lot of people that aren't into the new series and i think if you are you should see it cool all right Who's next? Next victim. Good idea. How's your week been? That's been pretty good. I went to watch Tarzan, Legend of Tarzan movie. Oh, right. That is also out in theaters. Yeah. So I like the movie, but I prefer the classic Tarzan call. <laughs> <laughs> um, I um, I'm done with my back therapy oh good i've been playing with my cat all for a week <laughs> work has been very relaxed mostly well that's good how about you boolean uh, not too bad uh just uh, enjoying my son and uh my wife's parents are uh, in town for a few months so they've escaped the horror of the collapsing nation that is venezuela oh at least my. At least uh, temporarily. And I'm trying to convince them to stay. They're probably not. Of course, even if they do, if Trump wins, they're just going to get kicked right back out. Wow. Um, so it's been fun. It's uh, good seeing them. Um, Say again and, who that was. I missed that part. It's his wife's folks. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're in town. From, I, I missed that part. Uh, ben, yeah. From, from Venezuela. So, you know, like they don't even have sugar there. Um, you know, like our, my wife's brother, uh, David. He worked for Polar, which is basically Pepsi in Venezuela. They also make beer and a bunch of other stuff. They actually had to close up shop because they simply did not have sugar. So he, he got laid off. Uh, so it's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, so that seeing, place has been a kind of a come, basket case. Yeah, so seeing them come here and taking them to Golden Corral or something where they're just like, oh, my God, infinite food. It's kind of cool to watch. <laughs> Yuppers, that's the... Uh, that's a very common story for, for that, that was the same issue with like, um, Soviet expats, you know, the biggest culture shock they had was supermarkets. 
Yeah, it is. And the same thing is happening in Venezuela. You know, they have a store that's practically empty. And, you know, before it opens, they have a line, you know, it looks like the spiral arms of the Milky Way wrapping around the freaking building, you know, with people fighting, trying to get a loaf of bread or something. It's ridiculous. Yep. Well, after that happy note, um, Israel, if you want, you can chime in here. We kind of do a little segment at the start where we just sort of recap um, what we've been doing for the last week, fun stuff, games we've been playing, if any, stuff like that. Uh, well, I have. Well, I haven't done. I haven't done a lot of fun things. Well, other than other than discovering Rick and Morty, I'm loving. I'm loving the series, and now I can't wait for season three. And Rick is my new spirit animal, or at least. <laughs> nice. Nice. Or at, least my, or at least my spirit mentor. Other than that, well, regarding movies, well, there's a one. Oh, hang on. You're, hang on. You're, you're cutting out there. Okay, try again. Okay, try again. Okay, well, there's this movie I want to watch, but I won't mention because I don't want this podcast to go down in flames for obvious reasons. But recently found out that here in Mexico we released another month. Well, you know what? You can say the title of the movie at least. Um, I may not know it, but whatever. It's all good. Okay. Oh, you've cut out again. Might have to... Uh, see? Even even the internet doesn't... You're right. The, the internet's, internet's just, trying to, stop you. just trying to stop you. Yeah, the internet is afraid of its very name. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll go from there. Um, what have I been up to? This week's kind of been a... We've kind of been resettling on the... Uh, trying to get my routine back into normal because the last couple of weeks have just been crazy busy. My wife's on the mend. Of course, she had hurt her leg. Um, works weird. Uh, just some stuff with, you know, due to like people leaving... Um, was really touched off a bit of a storm of not the most comfortable uh, sentiments, but whatever. I mean, one gets by. Uh, on the gaming front, been playing more Mage and Minions, Android. Um, still enjoying that game. Reinstalled the Elder Scrolls Online, kind of got back into it. It seems the guards have forgotten that they're trying to kill my player, which is nice. Happy about that. Got to remember to turn off the ability to whack NPCs. Uh, when next I play. And then, of course, Pokemon Go. Been playing that a fair bit this week as well. So, anything else interesting happen? Um, Just getting back into planning for scouts. There's uh, a lot going on, especially now that I'm running two different sections. Um, so, I have two different programs to help plan. This is going to be a very interesting and busy year. Oh, actually, on the scouting front, too. Um, so, there's a... 24-7 internet radio service called Scouting Radio, and they are evidently going to start rebroadcasting um, scouting stuff podcast episodes. So I'm really happy about that. I mean, that's going to grow the listenership for that podcast a fair bit. Really quite nice. happy to have that along. So, there's a thing. Alright, so, don't know how long we're going to talk about this for, but... Main topic tonight. So there was an article published at, gotta get the website here. Uh, where was it? 
Right. Game pros. And they're basically arguing that RPGs are the stars of the video games industry. That was their headline. I'll just give a little quote from the article here. So in the video games industry, there are dozens of genres that categorize what kind of experience a player can expect from a game. The selection ranges from countless sports games to the exciting action-adventure setting. And we as gamers develop preferences by exploring various titles and recognizing what grabs our attention. Presently, most of us who play video games regularly know what we like and what we don't care for. Personally, I've always enjoyed adventuring through a highly developed story in what are known as role-playing games or RPGs. Although there isn't a right or wrong answer to what the best video game genre is, I stand tall and proud behind RPGs for countless reasons. For me, they've continued to surpass every other category throughout the years. Then it goes into a little bit of a history lesson, um, you know, actually looking at uh, the development of RPGs from... uh, well, Dungeons and Dragons, of course, and then on through um, basically adaptations of Dungeons and Dragons to um, electronic systems, the birth of RPG video games, which we've touched on before and which has been discussed elsewhere. I mean, especially as in regard to the history of Ultima, since that began out of Richard Garriott's attempts to make um, Apple II <laughs> versions of some of the D&D campaigns that he was running. But Game Pros goes on to ask, you know, so what is it that makes RPGs so kick ass? And a question. Sure. Are we talking sure. about are we talking about RPGs about RPG elements because people tend to call an RPG anything with with little progression and well well, you know, so for uh, well, I think for a game to be called an RPG, it requires a lot of other elements. Not yes, and but you know what? I'm actually really glad you asked that because I think the core of the thesis at Game Pros. I mean, they go into a lot of different examples. They mention different RPGs and different elements of you know you talking about elements that RPGs, whether it's character choice, um, character customization, the storyline, the um, expansiveness of a game world, the ability to explore, things like that. Um, But I I am actually really glad that, and actually I'd made a special note in the show notes, you know, if the discussion happens to veer toward RPG elements, um, because I think that actually does go to support the game pro's thesis, which is that, you know, RPGs are, in some respect, they've kind of become, I mean, okay, in some respects, the question of what is an RPG has really become a very messy and ugly one to ask. And, you know, you touched on that a little bit there, Israel, because, yeah, how any two people define what is or isn't an RPG there's going to be some variance there. I mean, gosh, I can even remember debates on like the RPG Codex forums where you have people holding forth that Ultima 7 is more of an adventure game than an RPG. All right. Uh, for, exa- for example, did you play Phantom Star Online? No. No, I've not touched that one yet. Uh, well, then my... Well, have you played Diablo? You know what? I actually steer clear of Diablo, but I've played games like Torchlight, which are, I guess, could be considered Diablo clones. Okay. Would you call 
What did you call Torchlight? What I call Torchlight an RPG? Um, well, I mean, I guess the technical category I'd apply is ARPG. Like, it's, it's very much an action game. There are, again, it comes back to that elements thing, right? But certainly yeah. not an RPG in the same sense that uh, Fantasy Star Online would be, or, um, oh gosh, I mean, even not an RPG in the same sense that, you know, like a, a Planescape Torment would be. Um, yeah, I think there's a core, a core set of, of gameplay elements or game elements um, that most closely define the traditional ID, idea of an RPG. Um, but then how those elements are specifically implemented and how much focus is put on each one will push that base core idea, or idea of an RPG in different directions, creating subgenres like the ARPG. You know, you could say, uh, you know, okay, like The Legend of Zelda, you don't have levels and you don't have experience points, but it is an open world, you know, action game where you do progress, um, but you progress through getting better items. So, of course, you know, Diablo, that would also be an ARPG. You could consider Symphony of the Night an ARPG where you actually do have experience points. You do level up. You do have a ton of different stats, um, you know, like intelligence and dexterity and strength and, and others. Um so there's a core I- I- idea of what it is. And then as you get farther away from that, or you start focusing more on one element than another, you begin to develop these subgenres. Sort of muddies the water a bit. It does. And I mean, it doesn't help that, you know, these days that Kim Kardashian game is considered an RPG for the purposes of its classification on the iOS app store, even though, you know, the most that, and I mean, I guess, again, it does actually have some elements to it that sort of touch on what we would think of as traditional RPG elements. I would actually think of it more as an adventure game myself in terms of its overall presentation. But I guess they're working Uh, from the perspective of, well, you are playing the role of this character that you inhabit within the game, right? Your avatar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's bring any argument, any reason but that. Yeah, I, once I had a discussion with another Fantasy Star Online player when that game was still a thing about whether it was or not an, RP, an RPG. Well, to me, it's a dungeon crawler. To someone else, he called it an RPG because you know, real life robot. Oh yeah. So so, Ross is an RPG too because in real life I'm not an Italian plumber, right? <laughs> I have heard that argument. Um, and I disagree with it. You know, Mario, I mean, like, yeah, you could, I guess, based on that reasoning. And I, I mean, I'm only mentioning that because it's reasoning that I've heard. It's not necessarily reasoning I agree with, but yeah, I mean, you could argue that Mario is an RPG, but it isn't really. And I mean, realistically, why would you define Mario as anything other than a platformer? Yeah, as, as far as the aspect of role in the term role-playing game, I think a better way to look at it than saying, oh, well, you're assuming the role of a character because that would apply to every game ever made that has a character in it that you control. Um, a better way to, to look at it, um, if that is to be considered an integral part of a game being a role-playing game, is that you need to take control of a role, that you need to to be able to define at least to some degree what that character's role is in the game by how that character interacts based on what you want them to do in the game's world. 
that, that would probably be like a more useful interpretation of the word role in role playing game. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, I mean, to my mind, having grown up on the Ultima side, I think RPG to me is not so much about the, you know, whether you take on the persona of another character, but it's about, for me, it's about the exploration, right? And that's, uh, oh gosh, I had a thought and then my wife walked in and out again and I just lost it. But, um, yeah, I mean, for me, like a big part of it is the exploration. Yeah, sure. I'm, you know, I mean, I play this character and I do have stats and abilities and there's this fantasy veneer, although fantasy, I wouldn't say is a prerequisite, you know, uh, an absolute prerequisite. There are sci-fi RPGs and they're just fine. Um, but you know, you do, you have equipment and stats and you have a character, but for me, it's about having then this world that is just open to you to explore as you're pursuing a storyline. And I think that kind of gets back to the Dungeons and Dragons side too, right? Because I mean, we think of Dungeons and Dragons and it's, you know, you've got your character and your character's got the stats and the abilities and the equipment and all the rest. And I want to cast magic missile, but fundamentally, you know, that's just some scribbles on paper and some ideas you have in your head. When it comes right down to it, where the game really emerges out of all of that is then when you have, you know, the one player who's the GM, who is then crafting a narrative and has a idea for, and it might just be a dungeon, it might be a broader world than that, but you know, an area for you and anybody else you're playing with to explore, to interact with, to find new things in, and then a story that's kind of woven through that, some series of events that lead you towards an end condition. Yeah, the most important role of the dungeon master or game master in a traditional pen and paper uh, game like that is to facilitate player agency um, by, you know, creating a, a realistic reaction from the game world that they're creating in their head in response to the choices of the players, uh, which are limitless. You know, he could set up or she could set up an entire campaign. You're going to go in this dungeon and get the treasure at the bottom. And I've worked on this for months. And the players, if they wanted to, uh, at the entrance of the dungeon would be like, you know what, I want to go into town and get drunk and then maybe, uh, you know, find some loose women and then rob some people. And that's it. Nice to and see it, if I'm getting drunk. Yeah. And the, and the dungeon master, you know, has to go ahead with it if, if they're playing the game properly and they have to just off the top of their head, come up with something realistic that again, you know, fulfills some semi realistic representation of the player's agency and that virtual world so in part so in, in part to me that also is uh, the definition of an rpg and it spills equally into the realm of crpgs or video games yeah uh, uh so if we i mean okay so let's just take that as kind of you know sort of the core essence of what an rpg is because i really don't want to get bogged down as much in the discussion of exactly what an rpg is i think that's a fairly decent definition of what the core of the concept is. And that's good because, um, 
And this is the other reason I'm really glad that Israel mentioned the RPG elements is because I think ultimately the thesis at Game Pros, I don't necessarily know if I'd use stars of the video game industry, but I think in a lot of ways, RPGs have kind of become the core, the, the, the central point of, what was my wife doing up there? Um, the central part of, yeah, soul, soul would be another good word there, Kevin. Thank you for that. Um, of video games precisely because we're seeing more and more games incorporate those quote RPG elements Unquote. I mean, even this uh, upcoming System Shock remake is making a big deal out of incorporating RPG elements. That's not to say that every game is an RPG or that more and more games are becoming RPG-like, but it is to say that more and more games across a variety of genres are definitely taking elements from RPGs that can in some way enhance the player experience possibly to, you know, to the benefit of increase or possibly offering, including the benefit of increased player agency. My gosh, it's a good thing linguistics not here. He'd be laughing his ass off at how I'm just stumbling over my words right now. But yeah, I mean, you know, we see um, games incorporating stat and skill systems that they otherwise might not. We see them incorporating mechanics that add player choice and agency. These are bits and pieces of what defines RPGs, but they're finding use, they're finding purchase in other genres to the benefit of those genres and to the great joy of the people who play them and enjoy them. Yeah, I, I think traditionally RPGs compared to other other video games um, – have been larger, larger in scope, um, more diverse as far as the different types of gameplay mechanics. Um, I think they're also better suited to including elements from uh, traditional entertainment media, um, like movies, you know, and books and music. The music's generally more important um, in an RPG. Um, so there's there's much more to them, and this even goes back to you know the old days of RPGs, like the very first Ultimas. There's just so much more to them, and and so much more different things to them. And there's only so much you can do with cloning Doom over and over and over again, no matter how good the graphics get. So I think it's almost inevitable that, considering how rich a history you know we have with RPGs. That if you're trying to make a first-person shooter and people are so bored with first-person shooters because all you're doing is running around pointing a cursor and left-clicking to shoot someone, it's inevitable that they begin to incorporate elements from the RPG genre because um, it's such a, a rich you know, treasure chest of elements to pull from to keep the, the genres from becoming stale and then making the same thing over and over again. That was one thing that came to me when you originally posted the topic was um, – the story and there being so many other pieces, so many other pieces to an RPG is that's something I always kind of equated it to was a book. And, you know, I used to read a lot of novels and things when I was younger for the days of playing RPGs. And that was what stood out to me so much about Ultima seven in particular is 
you had the characters and you had interacting with people and you had all that stuff and finding gear and you know all those things but it was it was the story that really stood out to me the most and you you go through piece by piece and get pieces of the story and the plot just like you would if you were reading a novel and sometimes it kind of like jumps around back and forth and you have to stay with where the book is in order to really know what was going on which also leads into another um aspect of rpgs that i've always found interesting was if i start playing one i need to keep playing it or i forget where i'm at and i can never get back into it if i try to pick up where i left off and Mm -hmm. it's kind of like reading a book in the same regard if you start like i've tried to read um the bear and the dragon by um oh tom Tom clancy Clancy. there we go that's a good book yes that's all right yeah i it's gigantic (laughs) It is. I've had it for probably 20 years. Um, and I started reading it two or three different times and I get a few hundred pages in and I just can't get any further because I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this part. I remember this part. Okay. I'm not interested anymore because I've already read this and I never get through it. So RPGs are one of those things where I have to sit down and play it for two hours or something to get into it. And then I have to keep playing it regularly or I'll lose interest in it because I can't, you know, get back to where I was and really feel engrossed in the story. That's a very good thing with. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good point because unlike something like Tetris or Pac-Man or Gradius or a first person shooter, part B of an RPG requires that you know what happened in part A and so on Mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, right. you know, it, it's like going up a flight of stairs. Um, so it's, it's very different than most genres out there in that respect. Yeah. And that was, that was, that's one thing with, especially like Ultima seven and similar open world games where it's not, you know, you go from point A to point B and just so on and so forth until you're through the story. You know, you can go here and do this thing. You can go over there and do that thing. And everybody that plays the game goes a slightly different route. So Maybe I went point A, point R, point F, and you went point A, B, and C. And so I know this bits and pieces of the story, and you have some other bits and pieces of the story. And you have to, you still have to get through all of them, but you don't go through them the same path. Yeah, the dynamic can, progression, and that creates a nightmare for the developers, of course. <laughs> exactly. So that's... That's always stood out to me about RPGs is it's almost like reading a book where you, you know, you sit down and you go through the whole story and you get all these different perspectives of the story and it kind of happens not necessarily step by step, but it jumps around a little bit. That's, that's always been a key thing about RPGs is that's me. And also like you said, Boolean, with regards to playing other types of games, like I'll sit down and play Fallout Shelter, especially now that it's out on PC. I've been playing it a fair amount lately. I'll sit down and play that for three or four minutes and get up and go do something else. And I can come back to that today, next week, a month from now. And it doesn't matter what I was doing before. Cause I can just pick up, Oh yeah, I got to click here a few times and Oh yeah, this guy's back. That guy died while he was out wandering around. So I just need to revive him and send it back. And Oh, I've got this weapon that finished being made. I can get that. And none of those things. It, I mean, it's fun, but it's not like, immersive like an rpg is or you know a good rpg um so that yeah, it sounds very sandboxy yeah i can sit down and pick up fallout shelter whenever i can't sit down and pick up ultima 7 a month since the last time i played it and be like 
like, oh yeah, this is what I was doing. Here's where I was. I've been through these parts of the story. I got still got to do this, this, and this. It's like, oh crap, I'm wandering around Britain for some reason. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I've already done. Uh, whatever, I'll go play something else. Well, and you know, it occurs to me too that the RPG, generally speaking as a genre, is, and this is something else that uh, Israel said, was, you know, the debate. Like, is Fantasy Star a dungeon crawler or is it an RPG or what is it? And it occurs to me that, you know, like if I'm playing a first-person shooter, even just the very name of the genre tells me a lot about the core mechanics of the game and what my view of the game world is going to be, right? First-person shooter. I'm going to be staring at it in a first-person view. I'm not going to see my character. Um, I'm just going to be a disembodied camera with a gun floating in front of me, and I'm going to shoot at things. RPGs, yeah, the term RPG is very vague. <laughs> it's exactly. The, like, I mean, it still tells me a little bit about something about what I'm going to do in the game, but it doesn't say anything about how the game world is going to be presented to me necessarily. So you can have RPGs that are first person. You can have RPGs that are top down view. You can have the dungeon crawlers. You can have the over the shoulder games. You can have, you know, <clears throat> the view is kind of inconsequential. You can have pretty much any camera view imaginable in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the only thing that we have to go on is the, the, the legacy of games, the, the, the games that are iconic that have been described at the time as RPGs. Because like you said, you look at the word role-playing game. Well, yeah, it's a game, and obviously you play a game. So the only word that conveys any relevant information is role. And what does role mean? So the, like the term RPG itself isolated is almost completely meaningless. So maybe look back, okay, which games were called RPGs and what do they have in common, you know, and to what degree. And I mean, it's easy to just fall into the trap, which we've already discussed of saying, oh, well, I'm playing as this other character. So I'm playing the role of that character. But I don't think that's really what is meant by that. I think the idea of playing a role in a game gets us back to something that you mentioned, Boolean, which is that idea of player agency, right? So it's the fact, you know, it's not just that I have my avatar in the game. It's not just that I am controlling this other character. It's the fact that as this character interacting with the game world, exercising my agency as a player within the game world, um, I can have impacts on the narrative. I can have impacts on the game world. Um, I can explore and discover. That yeah, is, having I think, a, more I what's meant by role playing versus just yeah, simply, oh, I'm pretending I'm this guy for the time being. It, it's having a choice, uh, you know, like an on rails, like gratis, an on rails shooter where you either press the button to fire and move or you get killed. That's not much of a choice. It wouldn't be yeah. game without that. But, you know, if you can. If you can decide, oh, screw it, I don't want to kill these enemies, I want to join the enemies, you know, let's go destroy Earth, let's unite, or I'm playing Super Mario Brothers, I want to kill the princess, forget saving her, that would push it in the direction of a role-playing game, because it actually gives you a choice instead of keeping you on rails. Yep. It's, it, yeah, uh, it's like yeah. killing NPCs in, for instance, Ultima 7, you know, I keep going back to that one, I can't imagine why. Uh, 
Like, <laughs> you can kill Lord British. Well, Lord British is the one that sends you out on your quest. Killing him doesn't really complete the quest. And that's, like like you say, player agency. You can go out and do that because you can. Yeah, I like actually intended. that you can kill Lord British, but you can't kill Batlin. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's a good point. Well, let's remember that people managed to to gank Lord British and not just the character. I mean about Richard Garriott in Tabula Rasa once. Well, yeah, well, he's died in pretty much every game. He's he's been killed in pretty much every online game that he's ever been part of. I mean, of course, there was the very famous Reigns initiated firestorm in Ultima Online because he had for whatever reason turned off his invulnerability flag. Um, there was the ganking in Tabula Rasa. Um, they actually killed him in Shroud of the Avatar, too, uh, not too long ago. Yep. And he could have got whacked uh, in real life uh, when he was strapped onto that Soyuz and when the crazy man that got eaten by an orca broke into his house. So yes. I'm not sure, That's I'm not sure what his deal is mind. with people yeah, with people killing him in reality and in his games. It's like, jeez. Well, you know, that doesn't they even tr- that doesn't even tr- no, go ahead. Go ahead, Deathblade. Who wants to go? You go. <laughs> okay. You go. Um, that, that doesn't even take into consideration the story about the metal plate falling on his head when he was leaving the office. <laughs> yeah, well, well, and that's why that you one. can drop... Th- well, oh, yeah, that's why you can kill him with the sign in Ultima 7, because mm-hmm. um, I guess he was leaving the Origin offices one day, and... Yeah, some metal plate fell and like either bonked him on the head or very nearly bonked him on the head. It um, did. It, yeah. it was uh, the from the magnetic door. Right. The the plate, the magnetic plate fell on his head. Yeah. And so that got built into Ultima 7 as like the other way to kill Lord British until of course the Forge of Virtue expansion was released and you got the black sword. Those are the two main ways you can kill him. But yeah, the uh the golden sign that you could drop on his head that was inspired by real life events. Yep. That was actually I think the first time they deliberately put in a way to kill Lord British. Like there were ways to kill him in earlier games, but they were kind of more bugs. Like in Ultima 6, you can kill him with the glass sword when he's asleep because the way Ultima six handles sleeping NPCs is there's kind of this one generic sleeping NPC. Um, so Lord British, when he's up and awake, even if you whack him with a glass sword, he's invulnerable. You cannot kill him. Um, even if you clone him and then make the clone hostile and make the, like the Lord British clone fight Lord British, you have two invulnerable Lord Britishes trying desperately to kill each other. It's really funny to watch, but neither of them ever prevails. Um, he's genuinely invulnerable. Oh, I didn't know when about he's that. Conscious. I have to see that. Oh yeah. I stole that one from Doug the Eagle Dragon. Um, but it's genuinely funny to do. Un- I'd like to oh, see that if you generate like 10 of them in a room with a bunch of powder tags. <laughs> Uh, well, you know what the best thing to do is actually to like box Lord British in on his throne. Okay. So like get a bunch of crates and other things. Uh, I had crates and barrels when I did this. Okay. So you box Lord British in on his throne and then you clone him a bunch of times and then you um, charm the clones and then you shoot Lord British with like a crossbow. So now he's hostile to you, so the charmed clones will attack him. And it's just funny because they're just wailing on each other. And I mean, like, nobody's dying, except, of course, 
I made the mistake of letting YOLO be the one to actually do the crossbow shooting. <clears throat> so he would periodically like shoot a shoot the real Lord British with a crossbow to kind of keep him agitated and keep the uh, charmed clones fighting him. But because he's YOLO, he misses half the time. And <laughs> there was this one point where he hit one of the barrels one too many times and it broke and disappeared. And so it broke the wall. And like instantly the real Lord British, who's of course mad at my party and trying to kill us, like just beelines right for the opening and I mean, slaughters us all. And then I have to restart the game, <laughs> but it was funny while it lasted. But anyways, going back to a prior point, your discussion about sure. games, um, being someone else as well. I'm not for stories. I love an RPG's good story. I'm a sucker for stories, but I'm not quite sure about the part of being my character. Would you see? I've never wanted to be my character. I, I, I mean, I sure I love creating characters. I love making them unique. I, I like to. I've. That's a reason why I, that why first person perspective has has never sit well with me, and why well why I don't quite agree with with you. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I can see the point there. I guess I'm kind of revealing my own biases in uh, in how I'm framing it because again, you come out of the Ultima background. And that was kind of always the thing with Ultima is that you were sort of always, there was always this understanding that it was always somehow you in the game. I mean, even if you created the character that didn't look anything like you and was obviously capable of doing fantastical things that you yourself would at best struggle with, if not utterly fail at, <laughs> um, you know, I don't know how well I would do against a uh, winged gargoyle in uh close quarters combat probably very poorly but um and i don't think you would be able to kill a dragon with a glass sword <laughs> no no i don't imagine that would go well in my favor either but you know still the point in ultima was that it was still always somehow you you were always invited to project yourself onto your character um that you were playing in each of the Ultima games versus something like a Mass Effect where, you know, you're Commander Shepard, you know, you're not you, you are another character. Now, that's not to say that you can't shape your Commander Shepard in ways that reflect you, right? Because moral choice is such a big thing in the Mass Effect games. And so your Commander Shepard can very much represent himself or herself to that game universe in a way that you would if you were in his or her shoes. But, you know, there is a distinction there, definitely. Um, and I mean, certainly in Dungeons and Dragons, I'm probably not a, uh, a dark elf. I don't appear to be one in real life. So there you go. But yeah, but Ultima yeah. allowed you to choose who you wanted to be much like Dungeons and Dragons. So it's, it's not you like, oh, I work in the office, you know, I got to find an office somewhere in Ultima so I can go be me. It's like, if you could redefine yourself, like in your wildest dreams, if, if you weren't confined to the trap of your real world life, where you're forced to do certain things just to survive, 
and it's kind of boring and kind of sucky. You know, it's like if you could be anybody, who would you want to be? And if you could perhaps manifest as an avatar. Yes, it's like it's like it allowed you to be who you would like to be in like an alternate life. Um, yep. where you're not enslaved to your existence here on earth. And that made it fantastic for me. But I guess that is yeah, a bit of an epistemic was... bias that we have because, you know, we did come through Ultima. And so we do have that way of thinking about it versus other RPG series, which don't necessarily invite you to think about the character that you're controlling in the same way. For me, it was oddly kind of the opposite of that is I, I tried so hard to project how I would do things onto my avatar. And so, which thusly formed how I played games later. Like when I played Mass Effect the first time, I played it the same way I would have played Ultima 7 as trying to be the hero and the good guy and fix everyone's problems. And let's go around and talk to everybody and, oh, you have an issue. Let me fix it. Oh, you need something. Let me go get it. Oh, you you lost somebody or something. Let me go find them for you. I'm this great guy. Everybody should love me. And then I was like, I wonder what the, the renegade version of Shepard is like, because I, every time there was, you know, the blue option, I picked it because renegade Shepard in Mass Effect one is a complete asshole. (laughs) (laughs) I remember. I, I think I did a full renegade playthrough of Mass Effect two. I can't remember if I did in one or not, but I didn't. Um, but, but the way I played Ultima seven kind of shaped my mindset for that as I would play as if this were really me, this is how I would do these things is try to go out and be the hero and be the guy that solves everybody's problems and fixes everything and sets the world right. And that was, that would be how I would want to do it. Yeah. You know, though, actually so, coming to, th- <laughs> I just remembered, um, did y'all ever see, I think it was Call of Duty. Yeah, there was a Call of Duty commercial that came out a few years ago now, where it was basically like office workers and housewives. That was a great commercial. That was was awesome. And then like Robert Downey Jr. was there in an F-22 or something like that. Like it was just weird. (laughs) But... It just occurred to me that, oh, crap, there's, you know, another case where a shooter is borrowing this idea now that, hey, you are some, you know, like project yourself into the game, right? Sort mm-hmm. of inviting that same consideration. Anyways. Well, when Electronic Arts does a new Ultima, they can uh, have a part two to, uh, to that commercial. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. Even like, I think it's the mobile strike commercials they have nowadays. It shows people running around through like battle scenes with their cell phones and pushing buttons. (laughs) And, and of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger is in them, which is the weirdest thing. But they have just all these random people and they're just regular people, but they're in this setting of this, you know, battlefield and there's helicopters flying overhead and guys with rocket launchers and. You know, the woman from three cubicles over from the office is running through in her in her battle gear and she's got her cell phone in her hand and she crams the button and everything blows up. And it's yeah, they, they, I'd say they tr- are kind of borrowing some of those ideas there, too. Yep. And I mean, you know what? More and more like FPS type games are incorporating some manner of character creation, even though you really never see your character in the game. 
but you know there is still that element of at least some of them there's an element of character customization and creation that goes into it so <sighs> yeah they, all, they they almost have to because you know again they can't make the same game over and over and over again and i think to a degree that's causing uh, the lines between genres to blur that more and more genres are borrowing more and more features from other genres and it's getting to the point almost where once again, ironically, everything will be the same. You know, we've gotten this far into discussion about cross-pollination between genres and nobody's mentioned Ultima trying to borrow platformer mechanics for Ultima 8. I'm actually really happy about that. As am I. Thanks for reminding me. Uh. Yeah, well, I mean, come on. Had to work it in there somehow. All right. Um, I have a feeling that this would be another discussion that it would be good to return to at some point. I have a feeling that it could be a lot more fruitful, but equally, it's getting late, and I want to spend at least a little time with my wife tonight. So I'm going to move on to other news. And actually, there's only a couple of three items, so I can run through them real quick-like. Um... That's System Shock thing. So Night Dive Studios uh, has announced, actually, that their remake of System Shock, which still looks darn good, I gotta say, um, will be released for the PlayStation 4, as well as for the PC, of course. And I actually might have to correct myself again um, about something I said last week. There are actually now stretch goals for the System Shock Kickstarter campaign. They were either added to the campaign shortly after I last checked it, um, before we recorded episode 47 or else I just didn't scroll down far enough. Um, they have stress goals up, stretch goals, stress goals up to 1.9 million. Um, the 1.1 million stretch goal has already been released. That's Mac and Linux ports and then support for Razer Chroma as well. So there you go. Oh, and, um, this is a new real, real quick. If you sure. don't mind, I'd like to add one nitpick and that's that PC is a, like a, a computing architecture, um, yeah. not an operating system or a console. And that's all. Yeah, it is. For it is now, certainly an antiquated. That's another one of those cases where you know our terminology. Ha, there's been so much cross pollination now. <laughs> so you know what we mean by PC has certainly shifted over the last few years. Um, I like to call it bastardization in that case, but yes, I guess, yeah, <laughs> that's it's a just, good word. It's just evolution of the language, right? So. Evolution or devolution? Yeah. Degeneration. Yeah, maybe. Um, anyways, here's another one. Um, and I don't know, Kevin, you might have some fun with this one. More possible legal troubles for No Man's Sky. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, here's a good one. Okay, so the brewing conflict, I'm quoting here, the brewing conflict first reported earlier this week by Dudge Dutch newspaper Telegraph centers on a geometric transformation formula developed by the University of Antwerp professor Johan Gillies. I'm assuming that's how you pronounce that. I'm terrible with names. In the early 2000s, the formula's penchant for creating naturalistic shapes with gentle curves using just a few parameters led some to nickname it a superformula. Gillis received a patent on the superformula in the European Union in 2002, and a U.S. patent was granted in 2009, in addition to a few other related patents. He then founded Genicap to monetize the formula by developing innovative technologies and products for today's and tomorrow's world, according to its corporate webpage. Fast forward to 2015, 
Hello Games' Sean Murray said in a wide-ranging New Yorker interview that Gilly's Super Formula formed the basis for much of the game's procedurally generated universe. So, at present, there's no formal legal action, um, but I think, uh, and I mean, I understand that uh, the professor, um, Gillies, or however you say his last name, um, is for the most part actually really excited for no Man- to to see what Hello Games has done with it because I mean No Man's Sky is such a darn ambitious project. That said, I think there is sort of this expectation that at some point Hello Games and Genicap are going to have to sit down at a table and come to some sort of agreement, which is probably going to involve money changing hands. But it's another one of those cases where you know, I mean, it's like GIF, right? Patenting a, a formula or a, a you mean get you mean GIF. Actually, apparently the creator has weighed in and said that it's pronounced GIF, like the guy who developed the format. I always pronounce that. I I was just messing with you. Yeah. I actually used to call it GIF as well, but you know what? If the guy who developed it says it's GIF, then fine. It's GIF. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah, well, I hate the peanut butter. I love the fondant. Peanut butter be damned. (laughs) So it's another one of those software patent things or formula patenting things, which... I mean, you know, certainly all credit to the guy for discovering it, but at the same time, it's just, I don't know, maybe after the whole GIF thing, it just rubs me the wrong way now when people patent math. Well, uh, yeah, I have a a couple of things to say about that. First of all, based on everything I have read, um, short of the uh, statutes that the European Union or individual countries in Europe have with regard to intellectual property and patents, in particular, those involving software and mathematical equations. Um, apparently, uh, Europe is extremely uh, creator-friendly in that respect, and that it does not allow or generally does not uphold concepts of software patents. And even in the United States, which is arguably the worst offender on the planet um, as far as software patents um, and just ridiculous patents are, are concerned, uh, the United States actually does not allow patents on mathematics, mathematical equations and things like that. So actually hearing that someone in the in Europe, in the European Union, was actually able to successfully patent an algorithm or a mathematical formula, um, you know, much less software itself is disturbing. Because, of course, the argument with software patents is that software is inherently math and you cannot get a patent on math. Therefore, you should not be able to get a patent on software either. Um, so I'm not sure what's up with that. That really flies in the face of everything I've ever heard about uh, software patents and uh, in Europe. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, it doesn't seem to be impacting No Man's Sky's release, which is good because I'm looking forward to that. But it's another one of those things. This game just seems to be a magnet for legal trouble. First Sky and now this. Last one. Um, this is one I tripped over just on uh, more by happenstance than anything else. But there's a new game coming out that I'm kind of interested in called Decay of Logos. Um, it's billed as an immersive action-adventure third-person RPG, drawing influences from European folklore and J.R.R. Tolkien's high fantasy. So now the gameplay itself um, draws inspiration from Dark Souls, Legend of Zelda, the... Main focuses are exploration, combat, and resource management. Visual inspiration is for movies like Princess Mononoke and um, games like Shadow of the Colossus. 
The general idea of the game is you play as a girl on a journey with her companion, a mystical elk. They fatefully meet after her village is destroyed by one of the king's sons. Battered and oblivious of the culprit behind the attack, the girl will not rest until she has her revenge. And during her quest, she will unveil secrets about the king and his sons, slowly realizing that not all is what it seems. It's being developed by a very small team. Um, and the website's really, really Spartan, but I have seen some of like the, the concept art, some of the preview imagery and a little bit of like gameplay videos. Um, definitely going to be paying some attention to it as it progresses. And I hope it continues to progress because it looks really darn interesting. But, uh, yeah, I have two questions. Um, it sounds amazing, obviously, you know, dropping all the different references. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff getting dropped but, there for sure. Yeah, it's like, wow, okay. But uh, like the camera perspective and with respect to gameplay mechanics uh, or play control, controlling your character, um, how many axes and to what degree? I mean, we're talking about like a a platformer, an overhead 2D game, fully 3D over the shoulder, first person, like what is it? Uh, 3D over the shoulder by the look of it, but rather Ah. zoomed out, but a little bit more zoomed out. So it's not like you're right there, like in say Mass Effect Ultimate 9, so... Well, I thumbs down for that aspect. Everything else sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I have a feeling we're going to have to revisit this. Um, But yeah, just I am I am spent today. My gosh, what a week. So if you like spam, spam, spam humbug, you can hit us up on Patreon. Um, If Patreon monthly subscriptions aren't your things, you can also buy games at GOG if you go to ultimacodex.com or podcast.ultimacodex.com, which is currently the home of Spam, 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 Humbug. You'll find links for like sidebar banners for GOG. Um, you won't pay a cent more, but we get a bit of commission off of it. It's a good way of uh, helping us keep things running. You can also offer us your moral support. You can like Ultima on Facebook or follow at Ultima Codex on the Twitters. If you want to join the Ultima fandom, you got a lot more options than that. You've got udic.org. That's where you can go to register your dragon name. You can join the Ultima Dragons on Facebook or Google+. You can follow at Ultima Dragons on Twitter. Daily Ultima trivia and Cinnabon references abound. Um, oops. There's a Ultima Dragons Slack group, a little bit underutilized because there is also an Ultima Dragons Discord group, which has largely superseded it. Or if you want to go old school, there's the Wearmount. And lastly, if you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email, ultimacodex at gmail.com. You can leave us a voice message. There'll be a link in the show notes where you can join us on our own Discord channel, um, which is where we record these episodes. So if you ever want to contribute, that would be a how to do that. All right. So... Deathblade, where can we find you online? Well, probably the easiest place is on Twitter at Dark Squirrel, E-A-R-K-S-K-W-E-R-L. I actually just looked up the name of my blog and I misspoke. It's called Irrelevant Commentaries on Blogger. So if you're ever bored, you can find some of my writing over there. Every once in a blue moon, I add something new to it. You'll actually find my... um, what was it? You know what? No, it isn't. I didn't put it on there. I thought I did. Oh. The article I wrote some time ago for Shroud of the Avatar that you posted on Ultima Codex, I did not repost oh, didn't there. Cross-post? Which I, hmm. Yeah, for some reason I thought I did, but I didn't. So well, you can still find it at the Codex. 
Yes. I've actually wrote a couple pieces on my history of Ultima on there instead, but not that. Yep. Um, so you'll find that I'll send, I'll actually, let me do that now. I'll drop a link to it in the chat. So if you want to stick in the show notes, you can. Uh, sure thing. Find it. And in the meantime, Israel, where can we find you online? Well, I'm at uh, gamesableplay.smackjeeps.com or satire on all things regarding role-playing games, video games, politics, and, well, whatever I think, uh, or anything at the moment. Nice. And, uh, and that comic also has a Patreon. If you like the comic, please support it. Awesome. It is a pretty funny comic. Um, by all means, do do consider throwing a little bit in in the Patreon jar for it. It's uh, <laughs> I have laughed at it. All right, Gradia, where can we find you? You can find me on Facebook, Shengdam Gradia, or you can find me here on Discord. Yuppers and Boolean. Where can we no, find if you? you need a, uh, yeah, if you need a uh, Linux uh, PC. Uh, you can find me at 8virtues.com. Uh, if you like old school uh, chiptune music, uh, go to Facebook, look for 8, the number 8, V Radio. I'm on Twitter under 8virtues and on YouTube as Vas Corp Vet Money. Awesome. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at WTF underscore Dragon. Uh, I am on Facebook. I have an About Me splash page, uh, which has links to some other social media outlets of mine. And of course, you can find me at the Ultima Codex, ultimacodex.com. Well, thank you everyone for joining in the discussion tonight. Um, It feels really abbreviated, but we've already been, well, I've already got an hour and 40 odd minutes of recording here, some of which is going to get cut admittedly, but you know what? longer than it feels like. I really do feel like we could continue to explore this topic some more, so we might have to come back to it at some point. Um, But in the meantime, thank you, everybody, for tuning in and listening. And until next time, be virtuous. Virtuous.